All right, uh, this morning we are in, uh, well, we're going to look at Romans 8. That's the verse that we're going to come across first, but we've been in James chapter 1, and we're talking about trials. And one of the things about trials is that God uses those things to help us get us to where he wants us to be. And we talked about, and, and in particular, we're talking about in marriage, but obviously this thing, this can apply to every aspect of our life, um, whether we're married or not. But number one is perspective in turbulence. We talked about that. And of course, first of all, we have to rely on accurate data. We have to rely on the word of God to be our, our guide. Just like somebody who is flying an airplane is going to rely on their instruments rather than on their sense of direction. Uh, but then the second thing is that we have to view it from a biblical perspective. And so today, we're going to start in on number two, which is the benefits of turbulence. Another way, because the Bible talks about in, in James chapter 1, that we should count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Another way that we can learn to count it all joy during a time of suffering is to remember that we don't rejoice because of the trial itself. It's not saying, oh, yeah, I get to go through a difficult time. That's not, that's not what we're joying in. The fact that we're taking joy in a trial or counting it all joy in a trial is because we know that God's going to work the real benefits out in our lives through that trial. And we can say, this is great. God's going to do some great things through this trial. That's why we count it all joy. Not, oh, I, I love to suffer. Let's, you know, this, let's have a party. I'm about to suffer hard, you know. It's not that. It's saying, this is great. When I go through suffering, God works. And that's why we count it all joy. Uh, the first two words, I, maybe I should have had you turn to James chapter 3. You can turn over the page in your book and you can see James chapter, or not James chapter 3, but James chapter 1. Um, and, and maybe we can do that to save a little bit of time. But the first two words after James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, in verse number 3, uh, in verse number 3, he says, knowing this. We don't rejoice because of what we're experiencing. We're, we rejoice because of what we are knowing. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What do we know that God will bring through trials? James chap, uh, chapter 1 suggests three different gifts that God gives us in trials. And the first one is confidence. Confidence. Even when you already know God's promises in your mind, uh, trials really like no other method, teach you what it means to have heart confidence in those promises. Um, it's the difference between knowing in your head and believing in your heart. And we know those promises in our head, but trials give us that confidence that we can trust God in our heart. It's the very process of trials that allow us to know the truths that we, that we so desperately need. Look at the first three words of one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. And again, you have it there, Romans chapter 8. In verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know this truth because it's written in God's word. We, we, we know it because we see it in the lives of others in scripture. And, and obviously, we're not going to take the time to go through all those things. But we know it in a personal way when we experience it in our own lives. We know that all things work together for good. Well, how do we know? Because we've been there. We've been through the trials. And that's why the trials are good for us because it gives us that confidence. The second thing it does is it gives us endurance. God also uses trials to bring that patience into our life. He says in James chapter 1 and verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's, you know, the word patience here is not just patience of being able to wait for an appointment at the dentist or something like that. Um, it means steadfastness. It means endurance. It means perseverance. Basically sticking it out 
through those difficult times. And that's what, that, that's what those trials teach us. It's the patience that, that can only be developed over time. Talk about the patience of Job, right? Job's trial that he went through was an extended trial. It didn't, oh, all this stuff happened, and then within a week, he had everything back. No, it was a, it was a long, drawn-out process. I mean, Job has got 41 chapters in it, right? And we really don't see till the very last chapter Job having everything restored to him, and a lot of those things tenfold, right? Uh, we don't see that happening until the very end. That's a period of time for the whole book of Job. It takes long enough just to read through the book, let alone for all of these different things to play themselves out. That's the patience of of, you know, maybe a teenage football player who's, who is grinding and enduring the practices and everything else so that hopefully he can start on the team or something like that. Um, you know, those, uh, the things that we go through in our lives, whether it's, you know, going and lifting weights and, and enduring the pain of lifting the weights or, you know, going out and running day after day after day so that you can run a marathon later on or something like that. Those, those pain inducers are what builds the muscles that give us the ability to continue going on later. And that's exactly what trials do for us. They, they teach us that endurance. They teach us that patience. Our problem is, a lot of times, is that we're so short-sighted that we don't value patience. Um, obviously, Job was, God was not using these things in Job's life to try to teach him godliness or try to teach him righteousness or to try to punish him for something that he was doing wrong. He was teaching Job patience, and we hear about that later on, the patience of Job, right? The Bible mentions that. Why is that? Because Job had to endure and endure and endure, and he did, and he came out on the other side. It's hard to be patient sometimes when we're going through difficult things, in our, not just in our marriage, but in our family or in, you know, uh, you got toddlers and things that you're dealing with. You have things that you deal with at work. You got, it's hard sometimes to be patient and to endure, it's not, what we, it's not that we don't want God to work through trials. We do, but we don't understand that some of the work can only happen over time and behind the scenes in ways that we can't understand. You think about uh, diamonds. Most of the ladies probably have a diamond ring on their finger uh, if you're married. Um, diamonds are only formed through pressure, right? What's the difference between a diamond and a lump of coal? One of them went through pressure. And it's not like, oh, if you go through a little bit of pressure, you can get a diamond that's uh, just kind of cheap and not really. No, you have to go through all of the pressure to, to make a diamond. Otherwise, it just stays a lump of coal. And, and that's, you know, God brings pressure. He brings heat into our lives to create us into what he sees fit to create us to be. Uh, we're not going to be formed into the image of Christ without that. So when, when we're going through times of pressure... We have to remember that the only difference between a diamond and a piece of coal is that pressure. And when, that, when, when we go through that pressure, when we go through that heat, then on the other side, we can come out as something that's so much more valuable. Job said that, right? When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold, right? The, 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 the most expensive gold has been gold that's gone through the fire over and over and over and over because it's purified. Same thing with silver and the other precious metals. The ones, that, the ones that are the most valuable are the ones that have gone through the heat, the ones that have been tested and tried and the dross has risen to the top and been wiped off and then the heat was turned up again and the dross rises to the top and gets wiped off. That's pure gold, right? Uh, think of Joseph from the time that his brother sold him into slavery uh, until he became the second most powerful man in the world was 13 years. 
Never saw that, that, never saw that coming, I can guarantee you that. And here, God puts Joseph, not only did those 13 years set the stage for all the players to be in the right place at the right time, for Joseph to save his family through all that starvation, and most of Israel through this starvation, um, but don't you think also that some of what he experienced over those years prepared him for what God wanted to do through him? I can, I can imagine. Now, Joseph, obviously, we have nothing that Joseph did that's, that's been recorded about Joseph that we could say was wrong. No sin is recorded for Joseph in the Bible. Very, very few people have that. But Job never, uh, Joseph, I mean, not that he never did anything wrong, but nothing is recorded. So he was a great young man through his whole childhood and everything else. But I can imagine that as Joseph was sitting in that pit, he was probably thinking, why am I going through this? What is the purpose of this? This is ridiculous. God brought me here to drop me and leave me, right? And here, Joseph, in just 13 years, rises to the second in the country. But you think about that. God needed that time and that pressure and everything else. And then Joseph comes to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But as for you, you, th you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He realized what the purpose of all of that trial and all that suffering and all that pressure was all about. Right? And I don't know if God needed that 13 years to work on Joseph or not, but he used that time in his life for Joseph to go from maybe being a bitter person about what happened to, no. This is all meant for good. God used it for his purposes. Think about Paul being stoned and left for dead. I can imagine that the experience that uh, could have seemed like a waste to Paul. Besides, you know, the pain that he endured, there was an obvious setback for the spread of the gospel. I mean, you don't get stoned almost to death and jump back up and start going out and preaching the gospel the next day. You know, I'm sure he had several months where he was just laid up thinking, what is this all for? Why, why am I doing this? Why is this happening to me? Right? But you know what happened through all of that? Obviously, Paul stayed faithful, and God continued to use Paul, but there was somebody that was watching him, Timothy. Timothy was watching Paul through all of those things. He was with him a couple times. Timothy ended up becoming the pastor of the church at Ephesus and going on and doing great things for God because Paul endured through those things. So was Paul's trial a setback to the gospel? Not when you look at it in the long view of things. Was Joseph's trials that he went through a setback? Not when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. And the same thing with us. When we endure with these trials, God can use those things in our life to help us become what he wants us to be. The third thing, so we, we have uh, the benefits of turbulence is that it brings confidence in God's word. It gives us that endurance or that patience. And the third thing is that it brings maturity. Back onto the front page in James chapter 1. Uh, you know, God, God allows us to go through trials because he wants to make us more like Christ. Um, marriage itself is a picture of Christ, his love for us as his bride. And in every trial that we encounter as a married couple, or even not as a married couple, every trial that we encounter in life, uh, God wants to bring us to spiritual maturity. James chapter 1 and verse number 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, that word perfect does not mean uh, sinless. We will never reach sinless perfection on this earth. There are, some, there are some people who believe that you can. We'll never reach sinless perfection. Uh, the Church of the Nazarene, uh, and maybe you don't know much about them. I don't know a ton about them, but I know that that's one of the tenets. They believe that you can reach that sinless perfection in this life. We'll never be perfectly sinless until we get to heaven. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have 
you know, our, our thoughts towards somebody else are going to be wrong or, or something. There's always something that comes up that's going to be just a little bit off. We'll never be able to reach that sinless perfection in this life. But that word perfect, it comes from the Greek word that means finished or mature. So think about it this way when you read that verse. But let patience have her perfect work that she may be mature, that she may be finished and entire, wanting nothing. The Bible talks about Job being a perfect man, right? It didn't mean that Job was sinless. It meant that he was mature. He had been through those things. He had, he had gotten to the point where he was mature in his faith. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is followed by verse 29, which I believe, let me see, you do have there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, by the way, that's not saying that, that God is predestinating us to go to heaven. It's saying very clearly there that he is predestinating us for whom he did foreknow. Those who are saved, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, he has preordained us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Amen. That's the purpose of everything that we go through in our lives. That's what God promises in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. This process of confidence, endurance, and maturity is the difference between a couple who grows closer to one another and a couple who grows further apart from one another um, during those difficulties and, and during the trials that we go through. Um, so when the Bible says to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, count it all joy when you go through trials, he's not saying, hey, this is wonderful. We get to go through a trial. He's saying, endure the trial. That's not going to be the easy part. But, but it's a joyful thing because you know that God is working to help you to be more mature, to be more complete, to be more like Christ. To, to have that patience and to, and, to, and to be able to work through those things together. And then, of course, like we said in the first point, to have the confidence that God is going to do what he said he was going to do and that God will follow through with his promises. Which that brings us then to number three, and that is this, together in turbulence. Together in turbulence. One of the most amazing aspects of God's work in our lives through trials is that he can use the trial to strengthen us. Like he talks about in Genesis chapter 2, weaving us together. Right? A husband is supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they too, the Bible says, shall be one flesh. That's a weaving of two lives together. How does that happen? Many times that happens through trials. Many times that happens through difficulties. Because, you know, uh, God can use these difficult times to weave two lives close to one another and make that bond even stronger through a trial. Right? How is that? You think about a, a, an oak tree that's standing out in the middle of a, of a field, right? Those are the strongest ones. Why? Because they've had to endure the wind. They've had to endure the rain and all this stuff. They're not, you know, protected under a big canopy of other trees. They're standing alone, and so they learn how to stand because of the pressure that's been put on them and the storms that they've gone through. And the same thing is true of a couple. Right? The more trials we face together, we can, that can either push us closer together, that pressure can push us closer together, or it can drive us farther apart. How we respond to that is what, what uh, determines the outcome. But 
that kind of maturing where we're woven together, where we're, where we're brought together, doesn't just happen as a natural outcome of a trial. See, Satan is going to do all he can to use a trial to weaken your relationship. Uh, just because you go through a trial together doesn't mean that, oh, we're going to come out in the end stronger. Uh, I've, I've, obviously, I'm, I'm very wrapped up in the law enforcement side of things, and I'm not, a, I'm not an officer, obviously, but I have read many, many stories. I, I follow some of the podcasts and things like that. And what you see happening many times, sadly, is that when, let's say, a child is murdered or a child goes missing and, and they never find it or something like that, what happens many, many times through those things is the parents end up getting divorced. And it's sad because you think, how could that happen? You think that it would push them closer together. But what ends up happening is many of them are not saved. And so they're not using Christ as their foundation to, to bring them closer together. And they start blaming the other one for, well, you should have done this. You should have done that differently. And the pressure of the media and everybody just constantly at them just eventually drives them apart. And, you know, they'll come together later after maybe the body's been found or something like that. And they'll do a press conference together, but they're not, they're not together anymore. How is that? Well, just because you went through a trial together does not automatically mean that, oh, we're going to be stronger together on the other side. You have to make that happen. You have to intentionally set out for that to be the case. The devil is going to try to bring confusion. He's going to try to bring hurt. He's going to try to bring isolation and misunderstanding and doubt. So what can you do to protect your marriage and grow closer to one another because of a trial? Walk through the trial together. Walk through the trial together. Let me give you five biblical and practical responses for enduring trials as a married couple, and we'll be finished. Number one, pray together. Pray together. We've been in James chapter 1. Verse number five says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. He says, you pray, you ask, you have. You need wisdom, pray for it. That's one thing that I pray for the absolute most is for wisdom, because I don't know what I'm doing. I try to project that, I mean, and I believe that God does give you that wisdom, but we have to have his wisdom in order to be able to answer any question that comes up. We have to have his wisdom to know what to do in any situation. But look what he says. If you lack wisdom, ask. He'll give it to you. Liberally. Not just that, well, here's a little bit of wisdom. He'll throw it at you. But you've got to ask. As you go through the time of trial, there can be a lot of decisions that you don't know how to make. Many needs that you cannot meet. Ask God for his wisdom, and as you do that together, he's going to draw your hearts closer to him and to each other in prayer. You know, there's not many things that, that binds two people together, husband and wife, you know, two, two guys, two ladies. There's not many things that binds people together like praying together. You pray with somebody, you, you, your heart and their heart are knit together. It's like Jonathan and David, right? Their hearts were knit together, the Bible says. How is that? Because when you draw close to God in prayer... You're drawing closer to whoever that is, and especially if you're doing it with your spouse. The second thing is that you should trust together. You have to determine up front that you're going to continue to trust the sovereignty and the goodness of God. God knows what he's doing in your life. I've said this many times. God does not toy with our lives. He doesn't play with our lives. He's not just, oh, it'd be fun to see what happens when I do this to these two people. No, God's doing everything in our lives for a reason. So we have to learn to just Trust him. There's going to be a lot of questions that your hearts and minds are filled with. Take those questions to the Lord. But even, even before he brings clarity, you've got to trust him and trust him together. 
Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6, very familiar verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You want to be brought closer together through a trial? Trust him together. Encourage each other to trust him together. Hey, God knows what he's doing through this. Let's just trust him. I can't see it. I don't know where the end is. I don't know how this is going to come out, but I know that God's doing this for our good. Let's trust him together. That's how you be brought closer together instead of being pushed further apart. One of the blessings of a Christian marriage is to encourage each other's faith. The third thing is to press together. I love the quote by Hudson Taylor. He was a pioneer missionary in China in the 19th century, but Taylor, Hudson Taylor was no stranger to trials. Um, he buried his wife. He buried five of his children in China as a missionary over there. During one of those difficult seasons of his life, he wrote this. It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What matters is where the pressure lies. See that it never comes between you and the Lord. See, if that's true of our relationship with the Lord, then it's also true of our relationship with our spouse. It's the trials of life are going to bring a tremendous amount of pressure. We know that. But the difference is where the pressure lies. And we can put the pressure where the pressure needs to be. We can either put the pressure between us or we can put it on the outside of us. And if you think about that, you put the pressure in between you, guess what it's going to do? It's going to push you further apart. But if you put the pressure on the outside of your relationship, it's going to push you closer and closer together. You see, we're going to face pressures every single day of our life, but during those times of difficulties, there's an added challenge in letting those pressures either push us closer together or drive us further apart. Um, there's, you know, there's going to be times when you have health problems. There's going to be times when maybe a child has health problems. There's going to be times when you have financial difficulties. Those are pressures, and those pressures can either push you closer together or they can drive you further apart. That's, those are the times to ask the Lord for wisdom, to, to um, allow the pressure to drive you toward each other. Here's the fourth thing, and that is to receive together. Through every single trial of life, God offers us comfort. We already saw from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 that he is the God of all comfort. The Bible makes that very clear. So encourage each other to reach out and receive God's comfort in ways that he provides it, through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit, through the local church, um, read God's word together. Open the pages of his word and find that comfort together. Psalm 119, 92, unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. You see what he's saying there? Unless I rallied around God's word, I have nothing else to rally around. Those pressures would get to me. Unless the law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. See, that's why when, when parents go through something very difficult, they end up getting divorced through the whole thing because they're, they're allowing the pressure to be in the wrong place. And they, have not, they don't have the word of God if they're not saved to push them closer together. They allow these trials to push them further apart. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our heart. John chapter 14, verse 6, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Encourage, encourage each other to be faithful to church. You know, uh, a lot of times when people start going through difficulty, they, well, you know, we need to stop doing everything and just stay home and spend time together. No, you find that fellowship amongst God's people. 
You find the fellowship when the word of God is opened. And you might hear something exactly what you need to hear that you never would hear sitting at home moping through your problems by yourself. The word, the word of God is there to help us, yes, but the church is there to help as well. And that fellowship that we feel from being around other people who are, are going through and have gone through the same things that we're going through helps tremendously. And we need that. You know, the, the entire book of James was written by the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. James was the pastor at Jerusalem. And you know what the church at Jerusalem was going through when he wrote that book of James? They were going through tremendous persecution. That's why he opened the book that way. Because they were under so much persecution that they were being scattered abroad and they were going everywhere preaching the gospel, he said. But th throughout the entire letter, he reaches out with that pastoral comfort to Christians that were spread throughout all of Asia Minor because of the persecution. The local church is still one of the best ways for God to bring comfort and care to his people. Here's the last one that can bring us together in turbulence through trials is to focus together. During a trial, there is a, the strong temptation to put all the focus on ourselves. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how. Don't make the trial about you. Remember that ultimately, a trial happens in our lives to bring glory to God. That's why God allows those trials to happen. So when we start to focus on our own needs, we start to lose the focus of why God allows us to go through those things. Focus on your spouse's needs. Focus on your children's needs. Focus on your loved one's needs. How God wants to use you to meet the needs of others. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says, By love, serve one another. You only have so much energy to give. None of us are the energizer bunny where we can go 24 hours a day and never stop, right? Um, you can either direct your energy towards supporting and serving your spouse and others, or you can direct your energy towards sharing how difficult it is for you, which is what many people do a lot of times. If you die to self and together you focus on the other and serving those around you, then God will bring those great victories in your life through those trials, and he's going to get the glory for it. 1799. Conrad Reed, and I meant to look this up last night, and I completely forgot. That's, that's, how, that's what happens, and maybe you're the same way. I'm like, okay, I need to go look this up, and on my way to look that up, I think of something else, and I get busy working on that, and I never get back to the thing that I was going to look up. Maybe somebody can look this up for me, but in 1799, Conrad Reed discovered a 17-pound rock. He was fishing. He saw this rock in the water. It was kind of a cool-looking rock, and so he took it and brought it home. Didn't know what it was, and so he just, I mean, it, it looked neat. So he just, they used it in their home as a doorstop to prop their door open. For years, they used it as a doorstop. And finally, uh, in 1802, three years later, his father decided to take it to a jeweler to see what it was. And it turned out that it was a lump of gold, a 17-pound lump of gold. Back in 1802, it was worth $3,600. And that's what I was going to look up to see what that would be in today's dollars. Because I can imagine it's in the millions. And even today, that is the largest lump of gold that's ever been found in the United States. 17 pounds. And for three years, they used this lump of gold as a doorstop. Because they didn't realize what they had, you know? Um, sometimes what looks to us to be just a heavy, large, useless burden can be something that's so much more value than that. So much more valuable than that can actually be God's greatest blessings in disguise, but we never know unless we turn to him and allow him to uncover the gold 
in his time. See, we're all going to encounter turbulence. We're all going to go through testing. We're all going to go through trials. Uh, but we have to remember that God desires to use trials to make us more like Christ and to make us a better spouse. But the process isn't automatic. And it's the same thing that I talked about over and over and over when we were talking about you know, raising our families, raising our children. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not just going to happen because, oh, we're Christians and we went through a trial. It's going to happen because we are intentional about making it happen. We're, we are purposefully choosing to trust the instrument panel of God's word rather than trusting our instincts and our feelings. And that we patiently allow God to work in our life, that we cooperate with his leading, that we do what he wants us to do through those trials and allow that to bring us to spiritual maturity. That's how you can hold and encourage each other during a storm. And boy, this works great for marriage, but it works great in life. When you're going through those trials, you might be going through a trial in your marriage together. You might be going through a trial individually in your marriage, or you might not even be married and be going through a trial. All of those things God uses to bring us closer to him, to try to bring us to spiritual maturity, and try to bring us out on the other side as a whole lot more pure gold than we were when we went in. That's how God wants to use those trials. And if we allow him to use that, we'll come out stronger on the other side, individually and together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the promises that we have in the word of God that are so encouraging to us in trials. And I know many times when we're going through trials and difficulties, it's, it's sometimes hard to focus on anything other than the trial and the difficulty. But God, I pray that you'd help us to allow you to work through each one of them, that it would draw us closer together as couples, that it would draw us closer to you as individuals, and that you might be able to use those trials that we go through in our lives to help us be more like you and more of what you want us to be. pray that you bless the service in the next hour. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.